for a few weeks, I want to do something that I'm calling practical spirituality. And my plan is to uh, look through the scriptures to see, uh, I didn't actually pre-think how I wanted to say this, let's see, to get some very, I practical is the word, to get some practical sort of nuts and bolts um, learning about Christianity, about how, how do you actually do this thing called Christianity. Tonight, we're going to start at the beginning, we're going to talk about how to follow Jesus. And you'll see why we would talk about that, because even the phrase, follow Jesus, if you actually really think about it literally, has some problems to it, as we'll see in a minute. So what do we mean when we say that, and how do we do that? Um, So we're going to start here in Mark chapter 1, and we're going to turn to a few places in the Bible. And again, I always say, uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you feel free to just listen. I do encourage you to get familiar with where things are in Scripture, or ask the person next to you where it is, or read off them. Uh, but if you are, we're gonna not. About, we're really only going to read like six or seven different verses. But so it's not a ton of Scripture. But we will be in different places tonight. We're going to string them together, and we're going to come up with some sort of an account of how does someone in the year 2016 actually do this thing that we call following Jesus. We're going to start there. And my plan is, not forever, but for the next few weeks, to just talk about some really foundational parts of the Christian life, how to pray, how to resist temptation. Maybe, you know, we'll talk about how to walk in the Spirit. Um, Things that Christians are called on to do, things that a lot of times we talk about with each other, uh, but it's possible, even if you've been coming to church for a long time, you might be like, yes, I know that phrase, but I don't actually really know, like, like, what would I actually do if I wanted to do that? Like, how do you do that, right? And, you, you know, you might be, like, really positive towards a lot of the things you hear in church. Like, yes. But then, like, walk out the door and be like, but what is, like, how, right? So I want to try to just hit some of those things. One at a time, I'm going to try not to give you my opinions. A, a study from Brian Weed on how to pray would be kind of rough, but if we can just look into the Bible. So what does the Bible tell us about prayer that we can take home? Uh, or tonight, about following Jesus, So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to start, like I said, in Mark chapter 1. Mark is the second book in the second part of the New Testament, which is, I mean, of the Bible, which is called the New Testament. So let's pray, and we will get rolling here. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding in your word, that you'd open our hearts and minds, um, that it would be like food for our souls, Lord, that it would be um, the thing that we need and instruct us, Lord. I pray that it would do that. Not not me, Lord. Help me not to get in its way, but simply to, Lord, be part of what's going on in this room, that you are going to unfold your truth for us, Lord. I pray for that tonight. We thank you for the chance to do these things together. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I really just have three big points for this study. And the first one is, if we're talking about how to follow Jesus, the first one is, what did it mean for the first followers of Jesus to follow Jesus? Let's go. We're going to go back in time, 2,000 years, not exactly, two, probably like 2,000 years minus 15 or so, somewhere around there. Um, 2000, right? Yeah. Anyway, 2,000 years, uh, time of the Roman Empire, and we're going to talk about what, what did the first people who followed Jesus, what were they doing? Now, that might seem obvious to you, but I think it's going to help us think about what we're doing when we follow Jesus. So if you look at Mark chapter 1, verse 17, uh, actually look at verse 16. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, 
follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and they, there's our key word, followed him. Now, this is a story that occurs, you can see right in the beginning of one of these biographies of Jesus. It's in the beginning of what we call his public ministry. He had lived for, seems around 30 years, not as a public figure, as a just a carpenter, just working, taking care of his family, not not his wife and kids, but like his brothers and sisters and uh, yeah, and his mom probably. It seems that maybe his dad died when he was younger because he just sort of disappears from the story and never hear about him again from time, the time of his birth narratives, right? So he's just a person like all of us. Uh, but then he begins making himself really a public figure. And one of the first things he does as a public figure is this act of walking around and telling people to start following him. I mean, if you just think about it, it's like totally bizarre. Imagine if you walk through the city and you're like, hey, follow me, right? People, well, if you think, first of all, what would they assume you meant? They would assume you meant right then, wherever you started walking, that you thought they should listen to you and start walking with them like you were going to lead them to a bank and give them money or around a corner and rob them or something like that, you know, two opposite extremes. But either way, they'd probably be like, no, right? Now, when you study these narratives, you realize that there's something going on. And I personally think, I'll just give you my opinion, I could be wrong, that it had to do with the fact that it seems like these people knew of Jesus and maybe even knew a little bit about him before these things happened. What's up, my friends? And um, so that when he calls them to follow him, he's not an unknown figure. It's actually not like me walking up to some random person in Philadelphia and telling them to follow me, right? It's, it's more like someone that they had known from a distance. Maybe it seems probably someone they had begun to admire. I personally think, I could be wrong, someone they maybe had wished they could get to know. And that person walked up to them and was like, hey, follow me. And that's really like, oh yeah, totally, right? And they jump in. Um, look at the second verse for this little section. So guys, we're talking about how, how to follow Jesus. He's catching up. That's good. All right. I want to make sure they're with me. Mark 3.14 is the second verse. So he told them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Mark 3.14. Actually, look at verse uh, 3.13. I keep doing that. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. Kind of interesting. So it seems at this point in Jesus' life, he has kind of this semi-large group of semi-followers. And here what he does is, name, we're going to find out 12, and 12 of the, that large group of people, and he calls them to himself. It says, he called to himself whom he wanted, and he came, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 that they might be, look at the first one, with him, and that he might send them out to preach. And they had other things in this day too that were pretty um, unique to what these particular people were doing. But we have here the Two little verses that give us a picture of the first followers of Jesus. Jesus walked up to them. He told them to follow him. And he said, if you do that, I will make you into something. What he actually said to them was that he would make them fishers of men, which is kind of weird, but it's obviously a play on words. They're sitting there mending their fish. They fished with nets, not with hooks and reels, you know, with big nets. So they catch dolphin and stuff. Just joking. Sorry, I should have made that joke. Um, it was the Sea of Galilee. There were no dolphin there. Big nets, just fish. And... Uh, <clears throat> So they're fishermen, and he's like, I'll make you fishers of men. He throws an of in there and totally changes the whole thing. And I'm sure they were kind of like, that's okay, you know? But I know I want to follow you. They were going to find out what he meant with his little play on words. But he says, you follow me, I'll make you something. Here, he calls a group together, 
and he appoints them, number one, to be with him. That's the first and most important part of, of what they were to do. And then so that he could send them out. So I have just a couple things that I, that I gleaned from that. What did it mean for these first people to actually follow Jesus? Number one, it meant to join the group of people who were with Jesus. There's a little group and they needed to join that group. The first people he called, he formed them into a group right away. There was like three right off the bat. Right? It's interesting. Jesus did not call individuals to follow him as individuals. He didn't call Peter and then work with Peter and be like, okay, Peter, I'll give you, you know, Tuesdays from nine to noon, and then I gotta go see John, because he's got the afternoon slot on Tuesdays, and then you know, I'll hang out with Nathaniel on Thursdays. And they're like, you know, and Peter's like, Who's this John character? I'd love to meet him. And Jesus is like, No, 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 you just follow me. I'll handle John. Right? He didn't connect people simply individually to himself. He he collected a group. This is important. So what it meant for the first, pe- the first followers of Jesus to follow Jesus was first, they actually had to physically join this group of people and become part of a group, a new group. Secondly, I hope you don't mind, you know, super obvious stuff, but to me, that's how I learn. I, I work my mind through these paces. They actually had to follow him, right? Well, the thing I like to say is when he turned around and walked away, they had to actually start walking. They had to be where he was and they had to make him and his activities the center of their focus, if they lost track of him and he walked away, then they weren't following him anymore because he was somewhere else and they were just at the last place they had been. And someone could be like, yo, where's Jesus? And be like, I don't know, actually, because there's no phones and he just turned a corner and we lost him, right? So you can't lose him. They had, to, they had to make him and what he was doing and where he was going the center of their focus, like actually. So I'm not, I want to be really clear here. If you're, if you're used to going to church, sometimes we, we speak in like constant metaphor I'm talking not metaphor. I'm like they, their eyes had to know where, see him and know where he was. Or one of them had to, where is he? We left him by the well of Sychar. We're in the town getting food, but he told us he would stay there till we got back. Okay, good, right? You know, Thomas, where is he? I don't know. Thomas, you were supposed to know where he was. I forgot to ask where he was going. Did he walk away? Yes. Like now we're in trouble. We're not following him anymore, right? So I'm being obvious for a point. The third thing it meant was they had to listen to him teach. You see, as you read these gospels constantly, this little group of people followed him around. He would pull up somewhere. He would stop. He's this group of people here. And they would want to listen to him because they'd be like, it's that teacher. And he would teach, right? So they listened to him teach. That's a big part of what it meant for them to follow Jesus. Fourth, they watched him do things. Almost everything about for them for following Jesus was listening to him teach and then watching him do something. And then listening to him teach and watching him do something. And the, the great thing about following Jesus and probably the freaked out thing was he was doing crazy stuff constantly, right? It wasn't like, watch how Jesus cuts an oak tree down. Now watch how Jesus, you know, folds a napkin. It was like, watch how Jesus raises the dead, you know? <laughs> watch how Jesus, oh, can walk on water. Watch how Jesus sits there and talks to a religious leader and then goes and hangs out with people that religious leaders would never hang out with. So they actually had to watch him do things Fifth, they had to learn everything that they could. That's what they were supposed to be gleaning. As they followed Jesus, physically walking around with him, they were supposed to listen to him, teach, and learn what he had to say. They were supposed to watch him do things and learn from that. And then finally, for what it meant for these first followers of Jesus, they were supposed to be apprentices. I think that's a good word. I recently, I forget if I heard that. I think I read that word somewhere about these guys. It was like they were apprentices for the sake of carrying on his work. Now, they weren't apprentices to be savior of the world. They weren't learning how to go die for people's sins. There were some things, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, that only Jesus was going to do. But 
a lot of what he was doing as he walked around with them before he went to die for people's sins was educating these guys in the kind of followers he wanted to leave behind, right? So as we talk about how to follow Jesus, and we hit this is our first bullet point, what it meant for the first followers of Jesus to follow Jesus, it's very, it's just physical, it's historical, it's, it was audible. They walked with him, they listened to him. It's kind of cool, you, you get, if you read all four stories of Jesus' life, you, you see that they ate meals with him. At one point, they wake, they're all sleeping in the same house together, right? And Peter wakes up, it's before dark, and he must realize like, wait, do we know where Jesus is? And he, went, he goes to look for him and he can't find him, which means that you know Jesus was sleeping in one of the rooms, and then he goes out and finds him in some deserted place. Somehow, maybe he tracked him. I don't know how he found him in the dark where there's no streetlights, right? Um, so they're just living life together. They're walking everywhere, walking, walking, walking. Um, sometimes I get sad that we all drive everywhere because like, you never get to talk to anyone. Have you ever thought of that? No, you probably like that about driving. Most normal people like that. Turn your music on, you're enclosed. You ever think about this? One time I texted my friend Rob Paoletti. I was driving. No, I, it was Siri. I wasn't using my fingers. And I said, it's, this, it's a weird world we've created. We all roll around in little metal cages. Have you realized that? We put a little metal cage around us and we roll places. And he texted back, colorful ones. I was like, yeah, that's even weirder. <laughs> like, I want a red metal cage and we're all like glass metal. You know, you don't try not to let people look at people when they're looking at you at the red light, but it always happens at the same time. And you have a little music for your cage and then you roll around and no one talks to anyone else and everybody is safe, right? It's weird, right? Anyway, uh, but they walked everywhere. So imagine what their community, what their fraternity was like, what their brotherhood was like as they, you know, who was the slow one, I wonder? Was it Peter? Keep up, Peter. He's like, come oh, on. He was probably the oldest by a couple decades. You know, maybe Peter was always in the back. Who knows? But there they were to be with him, to learn. That's what it meant for them to follow Jesus. Now, second point. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we talk about following Jesus, don't we? But if we're honest, the first thing that should strike our minds is like, well, we can't do that for a very simple reason. He's not here that way. He's not here to follow around. There's no physical body of Jesus for us to look at. We, we can't he- find out that he's in Seattle, so we have to fly there, right? Nothing. Um, now, we still talk about following Jesus, and it's important, but it's going to be different. Necessarily, it's going to be different. In fact, Jesus himself said it was better kind of weird. When he tells his followers, he's sitting there with this group of 12 guys and maybe a little larger group. He's like, look, I'm going away. And they all get really sad. This is in John chapter 14, I think, 15. They get really sad. And he goes, no, no, no. This is classic Jesus. Everyone's sad and he's happy. This happens a lot in the gospels. He's like, no, it's a good thing. <laughs> right? It's so funny. This is constantly going on. It's a good thing. He goes, it's better for you if I go away. And you know, they're just like, you have said many confusing things, master, but this is the most confusing of all, right? And then he goes, because if I don't go away, the comforter won't come. And at that point, they must have been like, we got no clue what you're talking about. What are you talking about? He's going to leave us blankets, you know? Like, it's not, it's not going to work. We'll talk about what he meant. That is What he meant is point three. But Jesus said, it's not just that it's different, it's better. Now, it doesn't feel better. Don't you just wish like sometimes you could just be hanging with Jesus? Like Jesus' teacher was making fun of me. He's like, I'll take care of him. You know, he wouldn't actually do that. He'd probably go like have a meal with him and make you mad. Like, why are you eating with him? Eating and drinking with sinners and college professors, you know? Um, but uh, Jesus said it's better. 
It's better this way, this new way you're going to have of following me. So if we can't follow Jesus this way, how do we follow Jesus? What does it mean for us? So turn to uh, the book of Matthew, which is one book before Mark, Matthew chapter 28. Verse 18. Actually, look at verse 16. Matthew 28, 16. So, if you know the story of Jesus, if you don't, he lived his life after he called his disciples. He did amazing miracles that are recorded by people who saw them. Then he was accused falsely as being seditious against the Roman state. Really, it was jealousy of the religious leaders in his area. He was murdered. Uh, in an official act of state execution under the Roman government. He died on a cross of wood. He laid in a tomb for three days, and then he rose again. That's the center of the Christian faith. If that didn't actually happen in history, then our own leaders in the New Testament wrote that we're liars and false witnesses. So Christians proclaimed to the world that Jesus Christ rose from the dead after he was killed. And this is a record right here of one of the most important things he said to the same little group of followers after he rose from the dead. If you look at this, it says, then the 11 disciples, this 11 now instead of 12, because one of them betrayed Jesus and committed suicide. Um, So now there's only 11. Uh, Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had told them to go to, right? Appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Isn't that crazy, right? But anyway, He's there, they're there, and he came and spoke to them. And this is what he says to them before he leaves them for good bodily, at least not for good, for their lifetimes for good. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, he tells the same group of people who he had called that day next to the lake at mending their nets. This is such an epic story. It starts in mending your net and it ends on a mountain with a man risen from the dead telling you to go to the whole world and, and spread the message. I mean, this is just like one of those stories that starts small and gets huge, right? That's the story of discipleship, by the way. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So what Jesus says to these disciples, and now they're called apostles. So disciple means follower, learner. And now their, their little title gets switched to apostle, which means sent ones. Remember, that's what it said back in Mark. He called them to himself to be with him, to hang out with him, to learn, apprentice, and then that he could send them out. And this is the sending out part, the real sending out part. So now he says, you go, and look what he says. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We could translate that to mean grant them an entirely new identity. And as a symbol of that, dip them in water and speak the name of God over their lives. This is your new identity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is the name written over your life. It's huge, right? And um, make disciples. I missed that one. <laughs> That's important, right? Create learners. Make learners. Give them a new identity and teach them to observe all the things I've commanded you. That was the commission given to these first followers of Jesus. Go tell other people and let the things you teach them and the new reality of the new spiritual reality that breaks on them from that. Let that totally change their life so that everyone you guys go talk to, they start doing what you say and they become a a whole new people, a larger group now. Add to your group. Go. Go everywhere. Now, if you look in Acts chapter 2, so turn to Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. The fifth book in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, 
an incredibly important event happens where this little group of followers and about 110 others, there's about 120 people all together. So the group had already grown. It had, in fact, grown to the order of 10, which is kind of cool, um, from 12 to 120. They're there and they get something that Jesus promised, right? He promised them, we'll see actually in a second in Luke 24, that the Holy Spirit would come. And this is that comforter that he was talking about that last night of his life. And he said, it's, okay, it's good because if I go away, the comforter will come. Well, the comforter shows up, but he's not a blanket. He comes unseen, he's invisible. And the signs of his coming, it says in Acts chapter two, are the sound of a rushing wind that filled the room. It was so loud that everyone heard it. In fact, it was heard outside the walls of the building and gathered a crowd. And little things that looked like flames of fire appeared over their heads. You know, Christians, we might as well stop trying to be normal. Um, because the things we believe are ridiculous unless they're real. Like it says in Acts chapter 2, which is a very historical book, like super like history, that's the way it's written, that people sat there and 120 of them had little flames of fire over their head. Now there's all kinds of symbolism behind that. It symbolizes spiritual reality. It's very important. It seemed to be a one-time thing indicating that a new age had dawned. It's not to be repeated. So the fact that I don't have a fire over my head does not mean I'm not a legitimate follower of Jesus, which is convenient in several directions. But, um, right, but it, it was this thing that happened and they become these bold preachers of this message, just like Jesus has told them to do. And they go out and one of them steps up in front of a crowd that had gathered because these, these crazy things were happening and he preaches this message. You can read about it. And 3,000 people in one moment are like, tell us what to do. And he says, repent, turn away from your sin. You guys crucified Jesus. They said that over and over again. They always said like the least helpful thing to the crowds. Uh, yeah, you guys killed Jesus, right? They didn't like shy away from that. You would have thought they would have like, God loves you. He's your father. Follow Christ. And everyone's like, okay. They're like, yeah, but wait, just admit that you killed Jesus, right? So they say that stuff to these people and 3,000 of them are like, you tell us what to do. And Jesus is like, and, and Peter, excuse me, this follower now, one of them steps up and says, repent. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Call on the name of the Lord and receive forgiveness of sins. And 3,000 of them do. Boom. And what happens is the first church is born. It happens to be a mega church, which is weird, but... Um, the first church is born. There's 3,000 of them. And look at verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. Then those who, were, who gladly received Peter's word were baptized, just like Jesus said. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to the 120 that originally began. And they continued. This is a big verse if you don't know it, Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of the bread and prayers. Now, why did I read these two verses? Remember, what we're talking about is how do we follow Jesus? How to follow Jesus, right? If we can't follow Jesus by walking around behind him, what do we do? And what we see is the historical record tells us that Jesus himself told his first followers to go out and teach people to observe what he had taught them and to baptize them, get, let them own this new identity. Then we see that once the power of the Holy Spirit came on this little group of people, they actually did that. <clears throat> and as they began to spread this message, other people believed. And what those first believers did was to get together, Acts 2.42 says, to get together with, G with the apostles and hear what they had to say. What you realize is our situation is 
basically the same, except that we don't have the apostles with us anymore, as those first followers. They're not with Jesus, right? Jesus is gone. They can't walk around behind him. What do they have? Well, they have these men, these apostles, who Jesus personally commissioned to spread his message. So they get together weekly, it says, publicly and from house to house, so weekly and daily. Uh, It says that in chapter 2, verse 46, right? Daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So that's big gatherings, right? Where the temple was a big space where they'd get together till they got officially banned from meeting there. And house to house was small groups met in people's houses. So some of the Christians owned houses and they would go there. I got a house. I got a big central room. Come on over, you know? Um, That's what they were doing. And it says in verse uh, 42, they were gathering to, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the part we're going to talk about tonight. Now, what does that mean in the English that we speak? This was translated in, I think, 1984. So I guess that's how they spoke in 1984. Continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Uh, What it means is doctrine is teaching. The apostles were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. They were teaching. And to continue steadfastly, or your Bible might say abode. What does ESV say? Anyone have a, say devoted themselves to? Is that what it says? Okay. The other version, English Standard Version says devoted themselves to. So it means they got together as much as they could and they listened to what the apostles had to say. And to devote yourself to someone's teaching is then they went and lived it out. Pretty simple, right? So from those two passages, Matthew 20 and Acts 2, I have a few principles for how we follow Jesus uh, since we can't actually walk around behind him like the very first followers. Number one, you come to trust Jesus and you find life, right? Now, in John chapter 21, at the end of the book, uh, the apostle John, who was one of these followers and then writes a book about the story of Jesus' life, he says, I've written what I've written. Maybe I'll just read it. You can turn there if you want or you can just listen to me. So one of these followers, not Peter who preached that day, a guy who was standing there, wrote the story of Jesus. And then he says, truly Jesus did, this is uh, John 20, verse 30, truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, his followers, which aren't written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John knew when he sat down to write his account of Jesus' life that anyone who read his book was not going to get to hear Jesus, like have Jesus walk by them and be like, follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men, you know. And, and be like, oh, okay. That, that, that time for that experience was done. So he said, I'm going to write down my version of Jesus' life, my account, and anyone who reads it, if they believe the things I've written, they'll find life. And that's a spiritual reality. That's something that breaks over you when you trust Christ and it is completely bound up with this thing we just read about, which is the Holy Spirit, which is God himself coming to dwell inside of you in the person of his spirit. And John says, well, I wrote what I wrote so that people could get life. The, the first step in following Jesus today is not to wait for him to walk by you and ask you to leave your job to walk behind him. It's to hear about what the apostles taught through their writings. And I'm gonna come back to that. Believe and find life. That's the first step. You believe and you find life. Secondly, you join the community. This is exactly what the, these first followers of Jesus had to do. You get together with other Christians to learn the apostles' teaching. Now, this, this was a cool study for me to do because I thought I knew, I thought I basically had the study in my mind when I decided I was going to do it. And as I went through these verses and hammered out what I was going to say to you guys, I found my wording change. And originally I had written to follow, to learn what Jesus taught. But I realized something. It is that. But how do we know what Jesus taught? 
And the answer is very simple, but I think very profound. We only know from the Bible. Ah, yes. But who wrote the part of the Bible that talks about Jesus? And you realize, oh, it's the apostles. It's these first disciples. They, just like Jesus told them to do, they did it in speaking and they did it in writing. So, and then I, and then my, I had the little bell in my mind. Wait, that's Acts 2.42. They got together to listen to the apostles' teaching. So what do we do in 2016? Because the apostles aren't alive either. We get together to listen to the apostles' teaching. It's just that we have their writings. In fact, Peter says in his one letter, we've read it here before on Monday nights, he says, I'm going to die soon. Second Peter, I think it is. But, but, but I'm leaving you a constant reminder so you can remember the things I taught you. He's talking about his letters. So these men wrote down the things they taught. They left them for us. They've been preserved for 2,000 years. I think I say that almost every Monday night, but it's a big, important fact. And Christians now, in 2016, do the exact same thing that Christians in Acts 2.42 were doing. They get together, say, what did the apostles teach? Now, why should anyone care what the apostles teach? Remember, because the man who was killed and rose from the dead commissioned these people to spread his message. You go. I, Jesus, Jesus wasn't going to go. He didn't come back, risen from the dead, and say, now we go everywhere, right? And they were like, yes. And like they went on a world tour with Jesus risen from the dead, you know, appearing live in Las Vegas, you know, and he's like, here's what I teach. No, he said, you go. And I imagine they were like, yeah, how about you go with us? You're like undead, you know? Like, come on. And he's like, no, you. So this is Jesus's design that people would get together to listen to what his personally commissioned followers taught. And the way we do it now is we do it by reading their writings. Now, what did the apostles teach? What were they teaching there, the people, as they got together day by day? Best we can tell, this would be a whole other Bible study, but basically you have to read the whole New Testament because that's what they taught. But if I get it in one sentence or two maybe, they used the Old Testament, what Christians call the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible, or you call it the Jewish Bible. They used the Old Testament to show how Jesus was the true Messiah. They told the story of Jesus and what he taught. They taught the meaning of his life, his death, and his resurrection. And they showed how people could live out his teachings today. That's what they were teaching. By the way, these notes are up on the blog already, all this stuff, if you want to go get this outline later, if you feel like you're furiously copying it down. Um, so that's what they were doing. They were using the scriptures that they had, which is everything before the book of Matthew, already, before they started writing, and they were showing Jesus is the true Messiah. Here's what his life meant. Here's what his death meant. And here's what his resurrection meant. Here's how we can live out his teachings today. So the, so the Christians were getting together and they were, okay, what are the apostles teaching us about Jesus? They're our spokesmen. So you come to trust Jesus, you find life, and you join the community of people who gather to know what the apostles taught a.k.a. you get together and you study the Bible. Every few years, this, this thing sort of blows through the church, at least in our neck of the woods, where people start getting really down on Bible study. <clears throat> and they act like it's like you either love Jesus and follow Jesus, or you study the Bible. It's like, we don't, we're not into a book, we're into Jesus. And, it could be, and you could be like, yeah. No, I want to be into Jesus. Yeah, being into a book's weird. I want to be into Jesus. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. How are you going to get to him? Right? Again, he's not in Seattle right? He's not, you can't fly and go see him. There he is. He's not on a world tour. You have the same thing Christians have had since Acts chapter two. We have the teachings of the apostles and Christians are those who get together to find out what they taught. So you come to trust him. You join the community. Third, you seek to let the commands of scripture shape your living. So this is why it's not only the, the quotes from Jesus 
that shape how we live. And people talk about, maybe you've heard this term, like a red letter Christian, because in some Bibles, they print what they think are the, are the words of Jesus in red. Your Bible might be that way. It's all good, right? Um, and the other words in black, so some people, I'm a red letter Christian, which means I, I believe that, that Jesus' words are the most authoritative. And that has a certain ring of truth to it too. Like, yeah, it would be Jesus would be the most important, right? And then they can set it off against Paul. But yeah, Paul is like, he wasn't Jesus, he's Paul. So Romans, First Corinthians, who could, right? Peter, Jesus. And, and it, as a Christian, that can kind of grip you and can be like, yeah, but wait a second. Everything we have is the teaching of the apostles, right? Jesus didn't write the book of John. John wrote the book of John. Most likely, Mark wrote down Peter's preaching. Luke interviewed all kinds of eyewitnesses and, had, and traveled with the apostle Paul himself and wrote his account. And Matthew wrote Matthew, right? And the letters are, and the book of Revelation are all clearly written by the apostles. So Jesus designed it that we would have to go to and through the apostles to find out what he taught. So the whole New Testament counts as the teaching that Christians follow, not just the words printed in red letters. It's, that's, a, it's, that's not a thought through position. So we seek to let the commands of the scripture shape our living, and we seek to learn the commands and put them into practice on a daily basis, both individually, you know, my life, and together, our church, right? So again, we don't want to get too, this is not all about individuals. Remember the first thing Jesus did was form a group. He made a group first. He didn't just have individual appointments. He made a group. So Christians, we're getting together to do that together and we're seeking to let the commands of scripture together shape our life and our living. Fourth, overall, we seek to understand God's heart through this, this process, to learn what's important to God and to learn what Jesus currently is doing in the world. Again, as Christians, you know, we're people that believe that Jesus is not dead and stayed dead, so we're studying the teachings of someone who lived a long time ago. We believe that he rose from the dead, that he's present with us through his spirit, as crazy as that belief is. That's what the Bible teaches. So we seek to, to learn and keep the commands of a living Savior, of a risen Savior. We tell the whole world that a man they think is dead is still alive. And we tell people to listen to what he had to say and to change if you hear a church leader say it's not their job to tell someone how to live, I just don't know what they think they're doing. Talk about an unpopular thing to say. It's not my job to tell you how I think you should live. But if any of us claim to speak for Christ, Jesus told us, and you too, my friends, to go teach him to observe the things he commanded. Didn't he say that? So that's what Christians are doing. We do it first for ourselves. We get together. What was taught? What, what did the apostles teach about Jesus? We read the Old Testament. We read the New Testament. We seek to gather up these commands intelligently. We, we access 2,000 years of Christians thinking about and praying over and seeking to live out even to, to the giving of their own lives, the teachings of Christ. We seek to do, and we do that together, right? We want to know God's heart. What's Jesus currently doing in the world? Finally, and this is sort of summing them all up, but it gets, it gets at the whole scope of this. I just say continue the rest of your life. Continue now. This becomes a life thing. I've stepped on a long road. I've said this a lot recently, I feel like. This is a long road. So this is for the rest of my life, reading and learning what Jesus taught through the apostles, through what the apostles wrote. I do this personally and in community with others. Like I said, I seek to practically obey these teachings so that my life becomes one which is totally shaped by the things revealed in the Christian scriptures. So I can't get behind him physically and walk around 
But I do what those first Christians did that first day when Peter preached and 3,000 of them became Christians. I get together and I learn the apostles' doctrine because that's how Jesus set it up. And so the only way we have to do that today is through studying the scriptures. And praise the Lord, in English we have awesome translations and the ability to even learn the original languages if you want to and all that. <clears throat> we have a community of faith to do it in. We can ask questions of each other. We have pastors to bounce questions off of. We have the internet, which can either be a blessing or a curse. Um, but 90% curse, 10% blessing most of the time, right? So you get like this, it, you know, in our day and age, this incredible wealth of information. I mean, a lot of us have multiple Bibles, which would be, have been unthinkable in times past. Different translations, journaling Bible, Bible that looks cool for public, Bible that's beat up for private reading, old Bible you have when you're a teenager, God's Adventure Bible, right? All that stuff. Just, so just like this wealth of information. Those are Sunday school jokes. This wealth of information. And, but what we do is, is what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. We follow him by systematically seeking to let the teachings of Scripture shape our lives. Now, I want to say one thing about this. This is really different than another way people typically have of pursuing God. I want you to hear me out on this. Which would be using the Bible to find inspiring verses for each day. Right? That's, that's a very typical way people have of following God and, and trying to grow in their relationship with God. Using the Bible to find an inspiring verse every day. I'm arguing for people to also practice something much more systematic, like the deliberate, systematic way Jesus trained his disciples. Instead of only hoping for a daily inspiration, I'm saying that I think the scriptures lead us to embark on a lifetime journey of deliberately, methodically learning what Jesus wants us to know and becoming what he, who he wants us to be by daily adding small pieces to what we already know. Day by day, year by year, letting the commands of Scripture shape our life. This is a lifelong learning to learn and lifelong learning to live. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to want an inspiring verse. Some people would be like, but I need one every day. Like, I got you, right? So I would just ask this question. Do I read to be inspired or do I read to learn? And my answer would be hopefully both. So I'm not saying one or the other. I'm not saying, don't try to be inspired, just learn. That's not what I'm saying. But some of us do none of the learning part. And our walk with Jesus becomes just daily hoping for that zippy verse to hit us. No offense, my friends. And you know, a lot of days it doesn't, right? What are your, how are your percentages? <laughs> my percentages, if that's how, if that's how I'm rolling, you have a couple good days in a row, you're feeling like a good Christian, then you get hit the doldrums, you know, because, you know, maybe you're trying to read in like, I don't know, like, some of those really angry psalms or something. Like, break his teeth in his mouth. I can't even read this. Lord, I'm sinning, you know? <laughs> or, you know, long genealogies. You're like, there was nothing in that for me, and I have to go to work, you know? Or whatever. You think, okay, I'll go to the Gospels, and you read some really confusing parable, and you're like, this doesn't help me. Also, it makes me think I might not be a Christian, you know? Like, what am I doing? You, you can't just live by looking for the next inspiring verse. I'm really, I want to, if this study did one thing, I would just like to commend to you a different way, of, if that's you, a different way of thinking about the Christian life. I'm not making fun of you. We've all been there. And I will come back to saying, yes, be inspired. But first, I think the scriptures lead us to think of following Jesus in a much more systematic way. 
which means I don't get it all tomorrow morning when I wake up, right? When Jesus called those guys and said, come follow me, they didn't get everything that first day. And they may have been very inspired. I'm sure it was super inspiring hanging out with Jesus. But they got a piece and then they got the next piece and they got the next piece. They got three years, right? Three years. And then those first, that first 3,000 that came to hang out with the apostles, they got the first study of the scriptures. Daily, it says. Isn't that what it says? And Peter wasn't just like, I'm going to inspire you guys, you know, when they showed up. All right. Here we are in the temple. No, okay. What do we need to know? I'm going to teach you. Jesus told us to instruct you, to make you disciples, and to teach you to observe everything he commanded. Day one, let's get going. This is a lifelong thing. And I would like to commend to you to think of your personal Bible reading that way, to think of your walk with Jesus that way, and especially to think of your church life that way, to think of your friendships with other believers, your community life that way, to gather, to learn what the apostles taught, to have it shape our lives. Now, along with that, like, by all means, be inspired. And I hope that your percentages go up when you do that. The uh, more days you I find inspiration hits me constantly as I read the Bible. And I'm, I'm just like, Lord, teach me what you want me to know today. Like, I want to learn. I've got to grow. And like, the inspiration comes. It's real. There's enough cool verses in the Bible to go around. And you'll hit them. And the really cool thing is when you start getting super inspired off verses that you never would have thought were cool verses, you know, whole passages, whole chapters. Just recently, um, the whole distressing, unsettling book of Ezekiel and the first two chapters of Ephesians, when you put those two things together, like I had a moment last week that was like, I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) oh my God, what have you done? This is nuts. But it, like in that instance, it took me like one of the big prophetic books and two old chapters. That's where the inspiration lies. And it's just insane, my friends. You want to talk about it? I'll talk about it to you. My wife got an earful that evening. I was reading in Ephesians. She knew I'd been getting worked by Ezekiel because I threatened to teach it to young adults and I bought commentaries on it and reading it for months. And it's crazy. So like you'll, you'll, you'll find inspiration all different ways in scripture, not just in verses, sometimes in whole movements, sometimes in a story, sometimes in like the most familiar little thing that you thought you knew, right? So it's there. I'm not saying none of that. I'm saying more of that, but I'm saying, how do you get it? And for my money, what the scriptures call us to is to not simply chase daily inspiration, but to follow Jesus by gathering weekly and daily and by daily opening your Bibles to find out, okay, Lord, what are you teaching me today? I want, I need your commands to shape my thinking. My fear for younger Christianity in America, and I don't normally say things like this, but I'll say this one, is that we will be high on inspiration, but shallow in discipleship. I do think that's a danger of our times. And I just don't know where that leads. I'm not sure what kind of storms that can stand against. Because the inspiration thing, like, I need it pumped up daily. But if my mentality is, I follow Christ, which means his teachings shape my mind, which means I need to daily learn what he wants me to know so that my whole soul, mind, body can be reshaped. My, I don't know about you guys, my mind needs to be recalibrated 
My thoughts are wrong without him. I need him to teach me how to think still, constantly. My heart is wrong. I feel the wrong things. I feel excited for things I shouldn't. I feel dull towards things that I should have passion for. I need him to educate my heart. So that's what we're doing. Third, and lastly, how do I follow Jesus when I can't actually walk around behind him? And this just needs to be said. This is, we'll spend less time on this one, but it needs to be said. Receive and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you go back to the book of Luke, just two books before the book of Acts, and you look at chapter 24, which is, this is another account of some of the things Jesus said to his followers right after he was risen from the dead. Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, so this is the same Jesus talking to the same group of people, right? This little group of followers. I read this almost every Monday night too. Oh, well, sorry. These are the words which I spoke to you which I was still, when I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding, that's pretty cool, that they might comprehend the scriptures. So the apostles are reliable guides to the scriptures because Jesus himself gave them understanding. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached, announced, right, in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, here's the key, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, this is a cool phrase, until you are endued with power from on high. Now, I would have, if I was standing there today, I think I would have been pretty depressed because Jesus kept talking about leaving but the one little glimmer of hope would have, been, would have been when he said that. You're going to be endued with power from on high. I'm just like, me? <laughs> right? That sounds pretty cool. And of course, we just talked about it. If you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it happened in Acts chapter 2. That's what we were talking about, the flames of fire and the rushing wind. But in Acts, two, Acts chapter 1, he specifically spells it out here. Verse 7, Acts 1, 7, he said to them, same group of people, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. They didn't get to know the future, just like we don't get to know the future. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And look what he says. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. So those are the people from whom we learn the teaching of Christ. But in this sense, they're a pattern for us because I can't follow Jesus now without this Holy Spirit? Or as he said to them, like I said to you that last night, uh, when he was you know, giving his final words to them, these followers, when they were sad, he was going, he said, don't worry, it's better because the comforter is going to come. What he's saying to them is, since you don't have me, you will need the comforter. Or I should say it this way, since you don't have me in a bodily form, you will need me to come be with you in the form of the Holy Spirit. That's a better, probably more theologically sound way to say it. And he called him in that night, the comforter. Here he just straight up says, the Holy Spirit's coming. And Luke, he says, it's going to give you power. And in Acts chapter 2, that event occurs, and that opens the door for every future generation of Christians down to today. That's the only way to follow Jesus, is to be born of the Spirit by trusting in Christ, and to receive the power of the Spirit to do all the things we talked about tonight. Everything we talked about tonight can only actually be done if I receive and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And just quickly, because this might bear a whole Bible study by itself, how do you actually receive and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit? But I'll quickly say tonight, it means you depend on the Spirit as you read the Bible. And just practically, I would just say, 
pray for understanding. You guys will hear me. I open my Bible studies praying for that. I think probably every week. I really mean that. I ask for the Holy Spirit to come and teach us, right? So that's just not, you know, Pastor Joe doesn't like give me a $5 bonus if I pray that or something, right? Like I, I actually mean when I, I want to stop before we study God's word and say, Lord, give us understanding. I do that every time I open my Bible. I pray over it as I read. If I hit a confusing verse, I pray for understanding. If he doesn't give it to me right away, which is a lot, I'll write that down in my journal. Lord, I don't understand this verse or I don't understand why these two verses are next to each other. Question mark, date, please give me understanding. Sometimes it's three months later, you're driving down the road and you're like, I got it, right? Run home to your journal. I, I think he showed me, you know? But you're praying for understanding. You're, you're receiving the Holy Spirit and praying for his, his help to follow Jesus by, by doing the thing we talked about tonight, by letting his commands shape your living. You're depending on the Spirit through the day as you seek to put Jesus' commands into action. We've talked a lot about learning, but I mentioned a couple times and I shouldn't just let it slip by. The, the, other, the other side of the coin of learning is actually getting up through my day. If I read a verse about forgiveness, if that's the, 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 the part of Jesus' commands I read that morning, then the, the follower of Jesus goes, okay, that means today I follow Jesus by asking God for the power to forgive people. Either people I currently have not forgiven right now when I read that, or someone that's gonna, something that's going to happen to me today. Or maybe it happens in three days. And I'm like, and then I remember, wait, I read. I heard in church. I talked about with my friends. A Christian forgives. And I don't know about you guys. I don't see many other people out there forgiving outside of the church. Do you see that? Uh, Muslims aren't really majoring on forgiveness, if you haven't noticed. Secular people aren't really rocking like tons of great forgiveness. I don't see a lot of forgiveness in the political arena, do you? The government's not huge on forgiveness except for student debt, which is pretty cool. But other than that, there's one group of people whose risen Lord is telling them, you forgive. Or how about this one? You love your enemies. It's like, no one's doing that. He's like, right. If you only love those who love you, how are you different than anybody else? And you're like, oh yeah, good point, Lord. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Go read it. So Christians, we, we read those things and then you seek the power of the Spirit. I got to put this into action today. I got to be totally different than anybody else. Not by how I dress or by some weird lingo I speak but by this quality of character that's, that's learning and seeking to put in action things that no one else is doing today. Yes, that's exactly what Jesus told. Go be distinctive. Not simply because of your political stances, but because you're the one person in the office who actually has patience with the boss or whatever it might be. Jesus told us to be patient, right? Apostles told us that was the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. So you're putting these puzzle pieces together. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And every time I get one, I go, okay, I got that's what I got to do today. That was his lesson for me today. And you know, honestly, like, to back to the inspiration thing, you know, love your enemies might not be the verse that like blows up inspiration in my mind and makes me feel like I can beat the world. But it might be exactly the verse Jesus wants to educate me with and wants me to step out and do that day. Does that make sense to you guys? And I think that's just, that's just basic Christ following. How do I depend on the Spirit? <clears throat> I ask. Luke 11, 3, 11, 13 says, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And, I, and Gal- if you read Galatians 3, I'll just say this to you if you're, if you're a note taker or you want to pick it up on the blog. Galatians 3, verse 2 and 13 through 14. If you, Galatians 3, 2 and 13 and 14. If you, if you think about the connections between those verses, maybe we'll do a study on this next week or something, I don't know. I think a constant believing in the message of Christ and believing the teachings of Christ, or in another way of saying it, Jesus said in John chapter 6, 
and and the temptation feeding on the word of God, right? He used that metaphor of eating God's word, which is to dwell, make your mind dwell on it, is the means by which God has chosen that he would fill you with his spirit. Eat God's word, I think Galatians 3 tells me, I believe, trust the gospel, trust the, the message of Jesus. Christ died for my sins, according to the scriptures. He rose again on the third day. He's coming back. He's the Lord. Uh, as I believe that through the day, God's energizing his word by filling me with his spirit, and I receive power when I ask it to keep the command I read that morning. So that from, like, that's how it works for me, practically. Literally through the day, consciously thinking of those things. Remembering the things I read, remembering the things I heard in church, remembering the things I talked about with my friends, the verse someone texted me, you know. Praying and seeking, asking the Lord to give me strength to keep those things. And I, I actually mean praying that prayer. I want to be, I'm going to be super clear here. I mean, it's, it's going to sound like either under my breath or aloud where no one can hear me or quietly in my head to myself, Lord, give me strength today to forgive this person or whatever it is. Give me strength today to not look at that person lustfully. That's what he said in Matthew chapter 6, 5, right? 5. Give me strength today to not be angry, Lord. So just praying, Holy Spirit, make me patient. Give me joy. I read that this morning, Lord. I think I haven't had joy for like five days. Give me joy, Lord. So you ask and you trust God's word. Lord, I know that you're risen from the dead. I know you said this was better. I know you said the comfort would come. I know you're coming back, Lord Jesus. You're believing the gospel. That's, that's what it means to feed on God's promises. And you're asking for the Holy Spirit. Meanwhile, you're part of the Christian community because you believed, assuming you have. You're getting together with other believers. You're learning what the apostles taught. And that's how you follow Jesus. Um, or at least that's best I can tell from what I have in front of me, which is the Bible. If you're not currently a follower of Jesus, if you've never begun on this road, here's really good news. Anyone can start walking on this road. And what I find when I talk to people about this is they do this really funny thing. Um, and someone in this room might be doing this tonight. They will tell me how they've never walked on that road before. Now, we're not using that language, but they'll say something like, ah, you know, I've never really gone to church. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm talking to you, you know? Or they'll say, yeah, I don't know if you, if you knew like the stuff I did. Yeah, not really like, you know, a candidate. Like people in our day and age have a way of reinterpreting the Christian message back to, I haven't done that yet. Therefore, this can't possibly apply to me. But I just, let's just be really clear. The Christian message is not, if you've been a really good person, come be a good person or something like that. It's, that has nothing to do with what we're saying. What we're saying is, there's a savior who wants to save you precisely because you haven't been a good person. He died for you precisely because you are a sinner. And that's was, is, was true of all of us. That's why he died for us. And there's a road that you've never walked on before. It's the path of Christ. It's the way of discipleship. It's the way of following Jesus. And if, you know, if someone says to me, how do you get to Florida? I'm like, we got to get on 95. And they're like, oh, I've never driven on 95 before, man. I always use 95. It's a good example. I'm like, what do you mean you've never driven on it before? Oh, man, if you knew, I'm like always a 76 guy, man. I'm just always going east to west. I'm like, yeah, but I know. That's, but get on 95. Nah, man, you don't want me 95. Why not? That's it. What are you talking about? Anyone can get on 95. It's free for crying out loud. It's a lot of road work, but 
you know, it's a narrow, difficult way, 95, right? I'm just saying. It's horrible. It's rough. But it's the way. Anyone can get on. So not to be all jokey about it, but if you've never followed Christ before, well, you're the one he's looking for. He's inviting you to step on his road. And Jesus is very realistic. He's not like, the minute you step on 95, you're in Florida. No, you're not. You're not there yet. It's a road. That's what a road is. You're traveling. You'll only be one month down the road if you travel the road of Christ for one month. I've said this to a lot of you before, crucial times in your life. It takes a year to follow Jesus for a year. Let's be stupidly obvious here. Right? It took my son a whole year just to learn how to walk. So like, as Christians, I think we need to help our friends see. And if it's you here tonight, I just want to help you see. We're not talking to you about how you've lived up to this point. We're assuming you haven't followed Jesus. We didn't until we followed Jesus, right? We, we didn't keep any of his commands until we believed in him, we received life, and we begun on the pathway of following him. And when we had been following, when I had been following for Jesus for six months, guess what? I was about six months good at following Jesus. Praise the Lord by his grace. And that's what you'll be. Like, this is what we're inviting. We're inviting people into a life of following Jesus. And especially the first point, into joining the community. Come get on board. Get baptized. Take a new identity. Forget your old identity. It's killing you. Our identities that people have today are, are labels of death. They're labels of death. Sexual identity, racial identity, political identity, they're labels of death. Just look out at the world. We proclaim the one identity of life and we mean what we say. We're not playing games. I'm saying this for all of you that believers that, 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 we would, that we would represent this way and invite people into it. I'm saying it and just in case there's anyone here tonight who's never stepped on this road, Jesus Christ is calling you to come follow him, to believe in his name and receive life and to start on the road. And guess what? You'll, you'll, you'll get in a group of people who are all doing the same thing. We're learning how to follow Jesus. Yes, some of us have traveled further down that road. That's good. Don't let that discourage you. Let that encourage you, right? I always have to remember when I get discouraged. If I was the most mature Christian alive, have you ever thought this thought before? You ever get discouraged by people that seem further on than you? But just think this one thought, Christians. What if I was the most mature Christian alive? <laughs> then, like, then I get depressed. Like, that would be horrible, you know? I'm so glad there are people that I can go to and be like, can you please help me? I do not know what to do here, you know? I mean that. Like, I have those people that I go to. I'm glad there's gray heads out there. Glad there's old ladies with white hair and nice eyes that are like, oh, I'll pray for you. Thank you, you know? I'm glad there's men who've walked with Jesus for decades, who've seen the things I see. And so, don't let anything discourage you from either stepping on the road of following Christ or the rest of you, my friends, from continuing on the road. Follow Christ. Learn his way. Don't just seek daily inspiration. It will not get you through. We need to be shaped by his word. And believe me, there's inspiration galore. But it will be deep, lasting, eternal inspiration. It will be the kind of inspiration that affects change in your heart and your mind. It finally gets you down the road. And we'll be followers of Christ. We'll be followers of Christ.